instructions for when I'm human. One, don't let me hurt anyone. We can't allow that, you know what humans are like. Two, no. What's that? Three, no. Wait a minute. Five, three more. Five. A few strange noises with one mouth. We'll go somewhere on the lines of dingle, 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 dangle. Yickety doo, yickety da, ping pong, lippy tappy, two tap. Greetings, and welcome to another episode of the RTAF Podcast. Thanks for being here. In the background right now, we have a song from this week's guest, Supercilious, Rob Uslan. This song is called A List of Instructions for When I'm Human. Don't we all need those? Anyway... Rob is a multi-instrumentalist, producer, and satirical t-shirt maker. He makes and performs music under the moniker, as I said, Supercilious. And when this pandemic isn't forcing us all to stay away from concerts, he sometimes performs with the Supercilious Life Band using live instrumentation. In this episode, we get into the effects of the old pandy quarantine on the music industry, Rob's pivot to making a living off satirical t-shirts during the lockdown. Very interesting. Brand reverence in psychedelic culture and all the spiritual bypassing that tends to come along with it. The idea of false scarcity and a few brutal facts about the music industry. A big thank you to Rob for being a guest on RTAF. This conversation was a lot of fun and I think you'll find it very interesting. I will probably have Rob back on again. Just just a wealth of things to talk about with this dude. And please do yourself a favor and check out the Supercilious Instagram page for some hilariously wearable memes. And be on the lookout for new tunes that will diverge from the classic Supercilious sound in the hopefully near future. And as always, please subscribe, share, like and comment rate review all that other good stuff wherever you're listening to us uh youtube spotify apple podcast ditcher um and join hey join the rcaf pod squad on facebook that's a group where a bunch of like-minded people are hanging out talking about the podcast sharing their work and yeah it's a good place to uh to meet other artists other creatives other people just like you who love the podcast and yes also as always if you want a t-shirt or hoodie i've got the link in the description it's motif.com slash artsyaf and thank you for listening here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Why are we? It's a little yeah. Man, you've got the full-on soundboard there. Oh yeah, this is my my baby, my 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 car, <laughs> my vehicle. Yeah. Um. So yeah, how you been, man? I've been actually great. Um. 
you know, moving across the country in the middle of the pandemic was definitely an experience. Sure. Um, but uh, I'm stoked where we are. You know, we're kind of like, you know, in the mid. We're not like in the middle of nowhere, but like there's, you know, our town population is 1,500. Oh and, wow. Yeah, like my neighbor has llamas. It's it's kind of <laughs> dope, you know. Yeah. Like there for 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 a year where I really don't need to be going out or seeing people at all. Like I couldn't have picked a better time to fuck off into the woods for a year or two or however long we're going to be out here. You know. Yeah. Nice. I hope I, I, it would be fun to come back to Colorado once uh once everything sort of settled down, but. Um, mm-hmm. without the music industry and without like me traveling all the time, there's no, there's not too much of a reason for the, the only reason for me to be in Colorado right now is I have so many friends there. Right. But what's the, what's the, you know, that's can't really hang out, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so were you, were you planning on moving or did you just hightail it out of here? Um, kind of? no, we weren't planning on moving at all. We were, pl- I mean, we were planning on eventually moving out of the, the warehouse. Right. But, um, uh, no, we did, uh, um, we did kind of like a, a little road trip in June. And while we were gone on the road trip, there was like, a uh, sort of a COVID scare at the, at the warehouse. Mm-hmm. Someone thought they, they, someone thought they might have it and we were like well do we have to just like camp out for two weeks and not go back to colorado while this sorts itself out and then you know we started thinking like how how you know uh yeah we just have we 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 have a, a few reasons to be a little bit more cautious than than the average person gotcha gotcha well yeah man uh yeah, I usually start with just a little banter like that, and um, cool. I also, but yeah, I was, you know, I kind of, I'm, I'm happy where I am. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that uh, I'm grateful that I can hang with living in the middle of nowhere because uh, a rent is like really cheap when you don't live in a live in a city, right? Um, it's kind of insane how much that kind of drops off when when you don't when you're not when you're not uh you know maybe i'm I'm like it's just me and katie like we have a whole house for for ourselves super rad yeah it's 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 nice so are you have you lived in cities most of your life oh yeah i i grew up in los angeles oh wow okay there i lived there till i was 18 and then i moved to boston and went to school there okay I lived in Boston for about seven years. That's where I met Pat uh, and a bunch of other people. Um, and then I moved to New York City. Uh, I was lived there for about three to four years, and then moved to Denver. So I've, I've lived. I lived all over, but primarily in huge sit in like the big, cities, you know, yeah. everywhere but everywhere but San Francisco or Chicago. Nice. Yeah. So are you? You said you're kind of planning to come back once things kind of settle down. We talk about it, especially if there's music industry and like, and, and stuff like that, you know, it's where most of my, most of my friends are, are still in, in in Colorado or out here, you know, the same time I could see myself set, you know, living out here for, you know, if I, 
if I, if I was stuck here for five years, I wouldn't try that. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a pretty good spot here. I'm, I'm right in between Boulder and Denver. It's a little town called Superior and it's, it's mm. like just this, I don't know. It's really like cute. I think is like the way, like a lot of, you know, people would describe it. And we're like, really close to shopping and stuff but it's very quiet very chill yeah i mean i mean like i don't mean to like play down the severity of any sort of like trauma that people have experienced from their lives being uprooted by the pandemic but you know doing any sort of like intense or professional art like like kind of prepared me and like most people i know are like yeah, like I can't leave the house for weeks at a time. Like I, that's not too different from the old, <laughs> like, like part of me. Like I'm a, a like a very much like a social antisocial person. Like and and Pat Pat's kind of like the the same way. Like we both like we both when we live near each other in Boston. Like we both kind of create like to create spaces where people want to hang out so that we don't have to leave. Like I love the space that yeah. I lived in Denver. Like yeah. I had a very active social life and I probably never let, I like, there were times where like, I haven't left the property in like two weeks. Right. You know, with that way, except to, to go to work, right. you know, but like, so, um, the idea of not being able to, of having like, you know, other than the, the financial puzzle of, you know, feeding yourself and staying alive, like it's not too difficult of a of an experience you know i don't like i don't have kids yeah that that helps i feel uh i feel for people who are struggling with you know i have i have friends that are have elected to have voluntarily have children during during this pandemic and they're stoked about they're just like they're just ready to take it take it on and you know good for them but i know that like i know that i'm grateful for intentionally choosing to not not have kids so far (laughs) yeah same here man same here and i i also feel you too on the social anti-social thing because and and you you figured it out in a really cool way just by hosting the gathering you know you guys at at lost and sound had a, a space to do that um so you were able to kind of if you needed to retreat into the studio or your room and then also, if you wanted, yeah, we had we had the we always had the option to do both, like kind of at the same time. Like, yeah, it, it was it's a very cool, cool dynamic where it's almost like, uh, you know, and for me, it's like it's not too different than being on the internet. You know, just going out, <laughs> going out to the gallery and seeing who's it. Like, I would never like I in the four years that I lived in Colorado, I never invited a single person over to my house. <laughs> never, not a single. I have many friends. I never right. once have invited somebody over people are just people just come over right right i've literally never picked up the phone to invite anybody over to to the house and people people just people either come over or like my close enough friends i i they're they already live there yeah yeah you guys had Um, you guys had somewhat if i remember correctly uh kind of like an open door policy but also like if you knew you knew and like yeah i mean the door had a code so it's like we gave Oh, it was like giving you the keys to the give you keys to the house. Yeah. Um, Do you miss it? Um, 
I do miss it, but I don't feel like I'm missing out on what's happening right now. You know, like I don't have that. I don't have like a fear of idea. Yeah, I don't have FOMO about it. Like yeah. I have, like I already have like nostalgia for it, you know? Yeah, sure. Like it's more like a reminiscing thing at this point, I guess, huh? Yeah. Like I miss hanging out in the gallery and, you know, like watching Chris paint, you know, I can't, uh, I don't really get the chance to do that. He needs to, he needs to stream again more. Um, <laughs> yeah it seems like the streaming's kind of died off since it really you know it popped off real hard at the beginning and kind of middle well people stop making money off of it ah, yeah. and then yeah. uh but that it, it'll come back because people people want the streams but people don't want to stream for free so sure they're sure. gonna meet each other halfway and it's i i, I think the pay-per-view thing is probably gonna pop off for 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 certain things especially on like the concert thing, you know, like I did streams here and there and it's like, unless it's going to be like something fun with my friends, I'm not, I don't need, uh, I don't, I don't need the, like the, the, the relevancy, I guess is like a weird right. way of it. Like, yeah. To keep, to so, keep like, yourself like, in people's minds or whatever. Yeah. I mean, mostly it's just that kind of like, I, especially with like the live music and the touring thing, like I kind of embraced the, the shutdown a little bit in like, a like all of my deadlines disappeared. Right. Yeah. So like <laughs> all, all of this, like I have to finish these tracks so that I can get these summer festival bookings, all that disappeared, all the, I have to have this album finished so that I can start booking for 2021 all that disappeared like now i just get to um uh i i ex i accepted that as like the reality like in march mm -hmm. so it had ha like i kind of just immediately was like all right we got to figure something something else out you know like i talked to i talked to you know i have friends that i like to think are way smarter than i am that basically gave me the like you don't want to depend on gigs for the next couple of years. Like it's right. definitely going to be like, like, you know, I mean, shows will come back. Like people are still trying, you know, um, some people are doing it safe, safely and more <laughs> respectfully than others. True. Um, but, uh, and it'll come back, you know, now that we got the, the vaccine. Now that we got the vaccine, what are, people are going to give a little bit less of a fuck next summer. And totally. there's going to definitely be shows. Um, do you think giant festivals will come back next summer though? No, I don't think I don't anybody, think so I don't think people want the liability. Yeah. I don't think it's worth the, uh, I don't think it's worth the bad PR till like, that's, that's one of the things that like every, like I remember watching some like live stream by like big live nation executives. They were talking about this in like May oh, wow. and, uh, they were talking about how like nobody wants to be the first person to blow it. You mm -hmm. know, nobody wants to be the first uh, 10,000 person venue to open back up and be the cause of an outbreak, you know? So, you totally. know, they, they kind of, you know, live, like people, they were probably, so they, I don't know if they intentionally did this, but they were probably like, all right, let's let, let's let sports come back on first and see how that works. You know, if sports doesn't blow it, then we can bring concerts back. Right. Sports yeah. kind of, sports kind of blew it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I wouldn't expect uh, concerts on that scale to come back. I mean, pe people are going to be able to do shit outdoors in a safe way next summer. 
Right. Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna happen. Whether they're gonna you know, like people are pro like, I don't know. Like, I'm not I'm not going to depend. I'm not gonna bet my ability to like eat on that. Totally. You know? Totally. Um, I've done the like go all in on my art for you know 10 years and uh there were moments where i i uh there were more often moments where i didn't like it than than when i did and so i kind of like um in a in a weird way the like transition to doing like meme t-shirt stuff (laughs) yeah i wanted to bring this up for sure has been the most like freeing thing for me musically like my my uh because that kind of like that as tech like kind of turned into like my full-time job yeah really it's like my it's my primary source of income right now um so that, you... right, there, that, that oh. right there is like even if shows were going at full swing like would i be pushing as hard to tour in places i may not necessarily want to even be just to get my get my name out there you know like it, being able to like pause and take a step back after going b- being pretty much on like autopilot of like release tour releases tour you know for the past 10 years it's kind of like i'm i'm stoked you know i can understand that people who like you know all these 23 year old kids who just you know blew their life savings on a cdj set hoping that they were going <laughs> to tour this you know or this year like right. that sucks like that's sure. like that's one I of those situations where like you know not you go all in and some like a lot a lot, a lot of people made bets that that this year killed you know that sucks yeah uh, you know uh you know for all intents and purposes like my you know the musical act is that is is shut down just like anything just like anything else you know there's no other than uh spotify royalties and you know youtube plays and shit like that you know Bandcamp sales are all right you know it's you know i uh but i haven't released music in a few years so there isn't like a huge momentum of people to be like the fact that like i still get sales at all on records i put out five seven years ago is like awesome every time you know i get an email it's like oh i just got my dinner paid for you know shit like that like that's that's one of those things where uh that right there is already like success as an artist for me Mm. where you can like you don't necessarily have to have everything paid for but the fact that you can that you have the possibility of getting anything paid for with your art is is like is kind of magic you know yeah yeah you got to take things as they come especially right now um i wanted to ask you about these t-shirts man because yeah (laughs) your pivot during COVID, it has been like, I mean, it just makes me smile. It makes me happy. I actually, I know they're like satirical meme t-shirts, but the, like the fact that you're making a living off them is inspiring to me because it's, it's like, it's this kind of renegade sort of ethos behind it that I, I just really love. Um, yeah. I mean, there's like, there's obviously like a whole bunch of legal stuff that goes into it, but uh, basically that, yeah, you, 
definitely end up paying pe- people that are much smarter than you to make sure that you're in the clear for. It's, you know, the, the, the Photoshopping, like I've been playing with, I've been playing Photoshop as a video game since I was a teenager. Yeah, it's always been something that. That, that I've been messing around. I've been messing around. I've probably been messing around with Photoshop longer, longer than I've been messing around with Ableton, you know, nice. but not, in, um, I got into Photoshop more seriously when, uh, I started taking my music more seriously and I was sick of seeing my name on shitty flyers. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, you know, if you want to, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Absolutely. So I started doing that and then realized how good of a hustle that can be when you're actually like not terrible and can like respond to the actual emails, you know, uh, those flyers. I'm, I'm like thinking of them in my mind, like the crappy ones that just go for like, completely oversaturated overblown psychedelia to where you can't even really distinguish the names from when he and i mean like some of my some of my earlier shit like is kind of i look back on it and i'm like how did i make this thinking that i was doing this to be better than other people like that's such (laughs) a that's such a uh a dickhead dickhead move but it but it uh it got me really good at it i -hmm. guess it's one of those things where it's like um I mean, I would t- I would honestly recommend it to any musician, you know, like you, I've always had complete control over my image. Yeah. You know, I have, I, I control my look, like I, I made my logo, I, I, you know, I can control over my, all, all my art. I made my own website, you know, every, everything like that. Like I am so invested in, in the music that I feel weird being like, oh, I'm just going to hire somebody else to handle like i know the the whole like so many artists want to just be an artist but i don't but i don't think that that means that like you only produce records like being a being a musician doesn't mean you only record you know you do you do other there's other things to 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 being an artist and all that stuff you know like when i think about how much money i make making concert flyers and logos and things for other musicians. And I think about how much of like an expense that is added up over, you know, a decade of if you could do that yourself, you know, I, you know, people probably don't, you know, the average management company probably spends six figures on, on their advertising budget, you know? Yeah. Like those are things, those are things that like you kind of could, could do for yourself you know when i whenever i've signed records to uh to labels they include a budget like a part of their like expense budget is all this design work that like i get to be like nope you you don't get to recoup any of that because i already did it all you know that goes back that goes right back to me um that's brilliant it's just one of those it's just one of those things where like main for me uh, maintaining control of context in which your art is presented is super important to me. And it's like the first thing that most artists give up just for the chance to be considered in the, in the culture. Yeah. And that's, that's been always like weird to me. Like electronic music is so many different things, but, uh, the fact that it's all done like behind a, you know, a table where it all like it all it all kind of looks the same 
no matter what kind of music like yeah, yeah. whether there's the six foot table the the cloth yeah, over whether it it's, whether it's dubstep or ambient or experimental or trance or whatever it all kind of it has this like context and it all has to be done in a club where right, like yeah. buy alcohol and it's like it's all all of these contexts that people don't think are intentional but they they're they feel unintentional because you're not making the choices. But if you make the choice, if you make the choices, they become, it becomes, uh, it becomes intentional, you know, and people, try, people try and do what they can, you know, with deco and production and, yeah, and yeah. whatnot. But, um, you know, there's people out there that I really respect that do a, a, a great job of that, you know, um, like Tipper, for instance, like they're probably the, the masters of, maintaining control over their context you know they don't even they don't even let other people sell tickets like promote like ever it's it's a it's a very tightly run ship with not that many uh crew, crewmen to make it happen and i don't i people don't realize how with just a few extra set of skills that you really can like learn on youtube like just the other day i there was something on photoshop an effect i didn't know how to do when i loaded it up on YouTube and I felt like I was learning Kung Fu in the matrix. And I was like, Oh, yeah. two minutes learned like a new thing that, you know, like having that, having that sort of toolkit is like you, you, you then become your own media management team. And that's sort of like invaluable stuff as an artist. Totally. And uh, I'm rambling, but yeah, so basically that got me like basically practicing a lot um, with, with Photoshop in a more professional and professional manner. But all throughout the years, I've always just like made, you know, joke stuff and messed around and uh, dabbled in the, the, the memory. But yeah, well, so getting back to talking about like having control over everything in the context, um, it's also like when you're an artist these days, more or less, you're running your business from top to bottom like you're the janitor and you're the ceo and you're the marketing person and and you're the actual artist the talent and you, you know you're literally like any that's position super, that's 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 really important yeah you're not you're not just the artist you are also the janitor you know yeah, you yeah. also have to like like i cleaned my studio the other day for like an hour and a half and rearranged everything just to make it feel better so that when I come in and create, I'm super focused, you know, and I feel good about my space. Um, yeah. Um, but back to, I like that thought though. I'm going to think about that. Yeah. So, um, I got to give credit to my friend Morgan, uh, Morgan Mandala. She, she said something to that effect a couple of years ago and I just thought it was brilliant and, and I've I've just been parodying that more or less since then. I think it's I think it's um, so accurate, it, and it's such a good analogy because like now the art all artists are kind of forced into being more than just talent these days, you know. See, but uh, I, this is where I I I don't think artists are forced to be. I think artists get to be by like okay. you know it's like it's like um you're you're not 
you're trying to think of how to how to express this. It's like you're not. Yeah, I don't think that people are are forced into into doing into doing all of these extra bits of work. That's sort of the like you have like you have to pay the price. You have to pay a cost somewhere to do anything. And for me, it's like it's like it's it's like when the the exposure thing when people I'm. I am pro doing work for exposure. So I know a lot of mm. a lot of artists are gonna hate me right right off the bat for <laughs> for that. But I uh, I really don't like the whole like I need to get paid just for existing as an artist mentality. I, I feel um, you to the, to some extent on that. I think like especially when you're first starting out, like maybe within the first three four years. Um, but sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you but off. But I think I think the better skill to teach is to approximate what is to like better estimate what opportunities are valuable. I would say some of the best gigs I ever played, some of the best opportunities I some of the best connections I ever made were because of gigs that I lost money by taking. Mm-hmm. You know, you either you're you know, you're either paying for ex, you're either getting paid in exposure or you're buying you know, back in the day, you had to buy ads. You right. know, people don't realize that, like, if you wanted to let the world know that you existed as an artist in 1995, you have to have cash. Yeah. Like, you have, you have to buy billboards. You have to buy, you have to take out, you have to hire people to do voiceover radio ads to let you know, to let the world know you exist. Like, nowadays, all you have to do is uh, upload some images, like, a few times a week. Mm, yeah. And, like, to complain about having to also be the one to make those images is I think, I, I think that's silly. Mostly just cause like, like, yeah. So like the, 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 the work you have to do is seemingly higher, but the, you don't have to like put any, you don't have to pay anybody to do anything either. You know, like yeah. if you wanted to be a, a singer, you know, 20 years ago, you had to pay for studio time. And that could that you know that could cost thousand dollars a day, whereas you can you can now do that in your house with a two hundred dollar mic and a two hundred dollar sound card. Yeah. So like the bar for entry is way is dropped, and I think that's a good thing, but it also means that the work that you have to do on your own to cut above the noise that that inherently creates is way higher. Right. Yeah, and I I think you know, you, you you illustrated that perfectly just by comparing like how I said uh, force to versus get to. Yeah. Like there's a a, a signal to noise problem that isn't going to go away no matter what your, your ethos about being an artist is like, absolutely. It's like, like I've been saying like with this, with, with Spotify, like no matter how much Spotify pays anybody, whether they pay people fairly or not, the fact is, 40,000 new songs go live on Spotify every day. And your job as a musician is to figure out how to convince people to listen to your track over the 40,000 that come out every day or the one and a half million that come out every month. You know, like that problem isn't going to go away no matter how much anybody is getting paid. Is that like you have to figure out, like navigate that part. And like sometimes there's a market, there's a marketing cost for everything. Whether you're playing a show for free or whether you're uh, putting plane tickets on a credit card or whether you're taking out an ad in the paper, you have to do 
something. And I feel like the trick is not to avoid that, but to get good at recognizing what opportunities are worth it. Because it's that's kind of esoteric, but you know, yeah. like, like look at people. Yeah, he just he sold like a half million, one and a half million dollars in yeah. ten minutes today. Yeah, why? Because he put out content for free every day for years. Mm-hmm. If he if if his Instagram was a, a private OnlyFans, nobody yeah. would know who the fuck he is. Right. True. True. You know, the only the reason he has two million Instagram followers and made a million and a half dollars in 10 minutes today is because he sold work for exposure for years. He also, you know, got jobs because of that. He was also very good at what he did. Yeah. You know, well, when you think about it, we're anytime you post to the Internet, you're you're giving at least a little bit away for free. Like, I think musicians more than artists, because. People can kind of I mean, here's, freely here's stream your that, stuff. The thing that, you know, pe- st- artists that are starting out don't want to hear is that, like, if your work is good, exposure is always going to be good. Yeah. 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 True. So, that's like, very that, true. You just got to like, hone that part of it, really. Like, so that, that's, I don't, like, make of that, make of that what, what you will. You know, if you're like, if your work is good, like it'll like people, if, if you build it, people will come, you know, but you, mm-hmm. you do have to put in effort there. We unfortunately have to put in more effort than we think to let the world know we exist. If that's what we need to do, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why the, I think like trying to have art support your entire life, like right up, like right out of the gate with, without a budget is dangerous. Is I, a dangerous gamble. Yeah, I made that mistake actually when I first when I first quit my job to make art. Um it wasn't fun. It actually like you were talking about earlier like a lot of those times were like just big learning curve, you know what I mean? Yeah, or just even like I, like there were times, you know, for the, for the most part like while I've been doing music, it's never always been my only job and I kind of liked it that way so mm. that because like when I first moved to Colorado, you know, uh, I had saved up a, a little bit of money from working restaurants in New York City. But then I kind of just like was like, all right, you know, let's just go. Let's, you know, let's do the music full time as, as much as I can bef- before I got to, you know, start doing more more side hustles. And it worked for a while. But like some of my least favorite gigs and my least favorite experiences were ones that actually like paid really well but i just did them for the money and they were like actually like pretty shitty experiences that like not why i got into making music at all in the first place yeah it's like i didn't get into music to um i didn't get into music so that it could be the the, so that it could specifically be the thing that makes money you know like my my goal is to figure out a way that my goal obviously in life or at least obvious to me would be to figure out how to be in a position where all I had to do was just like make art all day, you know, whatever, whatever that is, like, that's the goal. It doesn't need to be, I don't need to be super, uh, super wealthy or anything, but just knowing that, like, I spent so many years working in restaurants that like, literally if all I have to do is just like, know that I don't have to do that anymore. Like that's, that's success to me. Everything else can then like, if, if once I get to that point, I can then, I have the time to figure everything else out, you know? Um, 
and I'm the 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 meme shirts kind of got me there, which is why it's been such a a, a a musical musically freeing experience. You know, I've been writing some of my favorite music over the past uh, couple of months. That like I'll be honest, doesn't sound anything at all like uh, supercilious stuff, normal really? supercilious stuff. Um, I mean, it's still it's still me, but it's not like. They're not, you know, I'm trying to, I'm just trying more, I'm trying more things, you know, just writing what uh, feels good for me to play and like thinking about how, how hard my bass drum needs to kick so that on, so that it slams on that function one system is like not a priority for me right now. Cause it's not, yes. I'm not, it's not going to experience that for uh, a, a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think. So, I think to to your point just a second ago, like I think a lot of artists might get caught up with the idea that like making making it like with like financially as an artist is is the end goal. When really I think it's more about being free to create the best the best art that you can. Like if you're out there just hustling for a paycheck i feel like sometimes the art can suffer you know what i mean but if you yeah, have another I'm, income stream then like you can really take your time and figure out like what you're trying to say or what you want to express yeah and you become a little bit more impervious to a ever more unpredictable world you know and yeah a more increasingly unpredictable world it's like um you know, it's not, it's not survival of the fittest. It's survival of those willing and capable of adapting to situations. Right. And, you know, like, uh, we're, we've, we saw this year that, you know, a big part of American culture was feeling like you could be too, that if you were fit enough, you wouldn't have to adapt no matter what. Huh. And so like all of these, like that we're seeing all these like macho, you know, hoarder gun people that are just like blowing it you know they're they're not they're it's like they're not they're not killing it at life yeah. right now you know they should they in they should technically should be there's they've been prepping they've been <laughs> yeah. prepping yeah i but all you all all this pandemic asked of us was just to like chill out and like not be a dick to each other and that was just too fucking difficult <laughs> <laughs> I have, I mean, I guess I try and have like uh, empathy for everyone. Um, and ho like the hoarder people, the people who, uh, well, are the, I'm, the prepper, I'm, 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 I'm stocked with food. I'm not, I'm right, not right. an idiot, right, right. but I'm also, I, you know, I stocked a while ago, not when cases started spiking, you know, right, I, yeah, I yeah. like not like I'm not, and I also like. I stopped because I don't want to leave the house. Not be, like these people look, not these people, but like there are people that like have been hoarding and planning doomsday fucking things and they're not using. Yeah. That's pretty not ironic. Right? They're also the anti-maskers. It's like, yeah. what did you build? What did you build your doomsday for? Yeah. For? And what are you, what are you waiting for? Or, you know, like if you're now you get to wear your cool mask, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you got a gas mask in there somewhere but uh i mean they're also not wrong because 
I mean, just the fact that however many nations, every developed nation has a nuke or 10 is enough to logically be like, well, I mean, I guess this could blow at any moment. So maybe we should make a bunker. Yeah, coronavirus doesn't care how many nukes you got. Well, true, true that. But, but you know, that's just, I'm just illustrating the point that like, that's just yeah. one threat. You know what I mean? And, and then on top of that, all those other things. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like people's like rigidity in their, in their worldview it will definitely make them snap i think and we're definitely seeing that all over the place yeah it's just not it's just not conducive to like pers- rigidity is not conducive to fucking going with shit right, you know right. it's just not like and the shit doesn't it, it doesn't care whether or not exactly. like you know yeah the the yeah <laughs> It's pr- pr- pride is a goofy thing. Ooh, yeah. Uh, especially when it's well, it's not really, not really earned. But that's a <laughs> that's a whole story. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to get back to like yeah you and and the music. Um, can we talk about kind of like your your backstory a little bit? Like, how did you get into music? What was what were you like as a kid? Were you a were you a oh, weird man. kid? Yes, I was. Uh, I was probably a weirder kid than I than I am even now. Yeah. Um, I was. Um, I mean, it's like they. I think it's uh, George Carlin who said something that's like when you're when you're born into the when you're born into the world you're uh, given a ticket to the freak show, but when you're born in America you're given a front row seat. <laughs> I think that when you're born in Los Angeles, you might be the the freak show, the um, the attraction. Yeah, you might be the the attraction. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, like when I was ten years old, I was a professional yo-yo performer. No shit. So my life that's awesome like, was always kind of on the goofy side there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was. Um, I was really good. I traveled to competitions, went to nationals, uh, literally like from like 10, 10 years to 12 years. I like traveled all over the country performing nice. yo-yo shit with, uh, with other people who were, it, it, it was, it was, it, it like was a... fun, but it was goofy, it was, but it was like, you know, like, um, and like from there I uh did i did magic for a while i did ma- like nice. magic performing magic at birthday parties when i was like 13 really so like do being like a performer was always kind of like something that i would do um yeah uh but it was always kind of on like uh, on like the weird weird nerdy side you know like totally you know like yo-yos and magic tricks wasn't exactly uh uh well exactly the 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 hip thing yeah (laughs) wasn't exactly getting get wasn't getting me girlfriends in middle school (laughs) i'll tell you that i'll tell you that much nice yeah but um i guess that sort of throughout all throughout that though like my parents got me a guitar when i was eight years old 
because nice. my friend and I wanted to start a Hanson cover band. <laughs> um, Sweet. Dude, Hanson like, wasn't that, that bad. What? Hanson wasn't that bad. Oh no, they 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 were they were they were good. I think I I could be wrong, but I feel like one or two of them like are like chewing on people now. No way. Something something like that. It's either them or the Backstreet Boys. I forget what's what's, (laughs) they're all they're all too blonde to keep track of. No offense. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's okay. I didn't choose Um, this, so. But yeah, so the band never happened. And I remember my parents being like, well, we got you a fucking guitar. So you better learn, keep learning how to play it. <laughs> and so I did. Guitar was my first instrument. Um, I played that off and on throughout high school and middle school. Uh, in high school, I was in like a punk rock new wave band. And we would do like Misfits and The Cure covers and shit like that. Uh, played a lot of like Smashing Pumpkins and Radiohead kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so then in college, uh, I didn't bring my guitar with me and I kind of wanted to make some music. So there was a guitar center on campus and I just bought like one of those little MIDI controllers Mm -hmm. and a friend gave me a copy of Reason. And I just started fucking around making beats when I was just like drunk with with my roommate, just fucking around in the dorm room. And I went home. Well, a few of my really good friends from from high school that I'm close with went to CalArts for the music uh, technology department, which involved a whole lot of building and designing synthesizers from scratch. And so I was like, oh, I've been getting into making electronic music. And they're like, well, I'll show you how it's fucking really done. So Whenever I was on break going home to, to L.A., I would shoot on over to CalArts and sneak into all their all their rooms and programs and shit and uh, mess around. So messing around with with synths and doing. Uh, but it was all it was all uh, experimental music like me and my, my friends. We were making like pretty avant garde, like noise kind of stuff. What, uh, when you say like experimental um can you can you maybe articulate a little bit more exactly Um, what you mean yeah like some of the uh on like the software end we would use uh a program that's called max msb Mm -hmm. which is basically that it still kind of looks like it now but back then it literally looked like microsoft word and you could end up building you just using like little lines and objects that had you know little bits of computer code in them you could build these incredibly complex instruments sound generators it was all basically code for handling data and Mm -hmm. some of that data is your computer sound card and so like you could build a program that could you know control the the lights in your house but also you know be a make your computer you know spit out piano chords or recreate the sound of a jet engine from scratch you know all all but so like people would we would do all sorts of you know you plug in random numbers and start plugging shit into random places and you get uh really random generative sequences and sound design and stuff and a lot of it was neat and a lot of it was definitely like alienating and not good and (laughs) definitely like uh, not refined is is definitely what I, a way I would describe. Sure, yeah, yeah. A lot of 
it's like early college everything's kind of unrefined at that point right oh yeah i mean and like we were doing like i was doing shows wearing like a fucking bloody panda mask playing like (laughs) uh, like we would do we would do shit where you would take like an old mackie mixer and there was something about them or or old behringer mixer they're not great and they had this problem where they had like this little um electrical hum in them so you could take uh if you took the out you basically ran the mixer back into itself it created this feedback loop that would basically be like a tone. Yeah, yeah. And then if you took that tone and ran it through a whole bunch of guitar pedals, that was your perform. <laughs> that was your performance basically. <laughs> nice. And we would do this in like fucking ba- basements and, and house shows and, and stuff. And it was, it was fun, but it was definitely like, you know, one of my friends would basically, he would try and his goal was to see how, how long it would take for him to clear the room by just making <laughs> as like abrasive computer generated noise as possible. Sure. And I kind of broke away from that when I discovered the more dancey side of, of electronic music. Like I got into electronic music through like Aphex Twin and Square Pusher and Yeah. But I guess like more on the uh that was on the like wanting to make music like that kind of stuff. That and like old like nineties trip hop and like early 2000s stuff like from like air and bjork and mm, uh, yeah. uh dj shadow and all rjd2 all that kind of stuff that combined with it's yeah, everything that was kind of going on in the late 90s didn't really kick in to to my brain till like the mid till like mid late 2000s and a lot of that stuff just i kind of ran with it and like oh how do i make shit that sounds like apex twin and then you know you do after a while you start to figure out that like no you only he can do stuff like that. <laughs> right. Right. But what you end up with is some stuff that's like, oh, like this is a beat. Like, let's see if I can, you know, do something with this. And um I just started, you know, make doing more and more and more and discovering uh being shown uh more uh psychedelic acts like um you know, Ott and Spongle and things mm-hmm. like that, which came, you know, right around the time when I was more experimenting with psychedelics. Nice. And I was like, oh, like people do, people do this. You know, it's like when I first, when I first heard, when I hear a lot of stuff that I haven't heard before, my general reaction is like, ah, people can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's like my excitement is like, oh, this is like, this is territory that exists. Like that's, you know, that, like you don't it's 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 a it's it's like pointing out a blind spot or something yeah and and especially when it's stuff that's been around for so long yeah you know like like, whoa what you know all the twisted record stuff's been around since the the mid late 90s you know when i was obviously only uh seven or eight years old then so i was definitely not um going to psytrance parties Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. back then (laughs) yeah but but yeah so um a good friend of mine in college uh, hit me up and was like, hey, I'm starting a, a record label, a, a hip hop record label. Do you want to make beats for my acts? And I was like, hell yeah, that sounds like an easy thing to do. And so I I did that for a while. Most of the acts like kind of disappeared pretty quickly, but I kind of stuck with the production side of things and 
that kept going on and I started um, making these more long form pieces that were turning into like these like seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, fourteen minute long <laughs> tracks. And I was like, oh, I think feel like I fucking have something here. Yeah. But I didn't really know what to what to do with it mostly to be honest. And then EDM kind of became a thing like in 2009, 2010. And I, I was like, my, I, I, when I was recording all this stuff, I always imagined that it would be done. So like I would perform it with a band, you know, when I, when I first discovered square pusher, like when I was uh, 15 or 16, I actually, I thought, I thought it was a real drummer. You know, oh, I didn't yeah. realize, I did I didn't realize that it was a drum machine. And I was yeah. like, this guy is the sickest fucking drummer yeah. ever. So when I first got into electronic music, started making it, I always imagined that it would be like a, I imagined that a real band would, or in theory, play it. And then all of a sudden it just became culturally acceptable to just play tracks. Right, right. Off, uh, whether it's a laptop or a CD player, uh, or, you know, or a vinyl or whatever. Right. Uh, but you do you do have like a it's called the life band, right? You yeah. Do that so sometimes right? that that came short, very quickly after I uh, I played a gig with this band at this bar. I think maybe only like ten people showed up, uh, but it was with this band called La Special. Yeah. That they were all they were a bunch of Berkeley kids, and they kind of blew me away. And I was just we became fr- close friends like you know just hanging out talking about all sorts of music stuff um and then uh we we ended up touring a lot together uh realized we had a lot of musical uh, common musical interests and and uh endeavors and then i think it was one festival that we all played at where they did this thing where luke and rory the uh drummer and bassist Basically, Luke just put up, pulled out some uh, CDJs, or it was a tractor controller or whatever, and just started playing tracks while Rory just kept playing drums. And Rory didn't know what Luke was gonna play. He just kept putting putting on tracks, and he must have done this for about six, seven hours straight, like Whoa. from like two a.m. till pat way past sunrise. <laughs> and it was it. I remember we were like um we were definitely um definitely tripping and <laughs> i just kept seeing I, I i at first i was seeing it as this like like weird like slave master situation where like luke was like i'm just gonna keep playing songs and you just have to keep playing playing drums or whatever i throw you like ha 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 and then like as it went on longer it became more apparent that it was like rory was like no keep feeding me tunes yeah, i yeah. don't playing drums yeah and like so it became like really apparent in kind of one situation that these were the people for uh these were the people the only people that could pull off what what i had uh imagined Mm -hmm. and so we spent a lot of time working on it and working on like what parts would act you know i kind of felt like uh, anything that can be played by a human should be played by a human sure so if there's like bass guitar part I'm not gonna, you know, <clears throat> play a bass guitar off the off the track. I'm gonna have Luke play bass. Yeah. If there's a piano part, I'm gonna play the piano part. And so the computer kind of 
really just handles the things that only computers can do. And then it becomes like the, the actual, the actual instrument, you know, so it handles the computer mostly runs the the backing tracks, which are just like the, the synth pads, the drum machines, mm-hmm. all the sound design, the, the, arpe- the arpeggio synths and all the, all that kind of stuff that like, I don't want to mess. I don't want that. I don't, I'd need 10 hands to right, A, right. do manually and B, it's not that fun to just like hold a chord and morph right. it for three minutes. Like no one wants to watch me do that. Totally. Um, you want to, I want to, I want to rock out on my guitar, you know, Hell yeah. it's my, it's our, it's my chance to feel like a, a, a real band and it, and it's definitely the way it's supposed to be done. And, um, I'd say that the new music that I'm working on is, way more geared towards like being a proper proper live experience i don't really see myself uh djing any of this stuff any anytime soon unless oh, it's cool. like a, not in an edm environment at least right yeah yeah you were just talking about context and the way you were just talking about the live band uh made me think oh well this is this is a perfect example of that like you're controlling how people consume your music like the actual instruments are being yeah, played the, and the you're seeing people the art is presented and perceived is like that's a that's like people want to say they want to only be an artist but that's like more that's 90 percent of it you know that's yeah, uh, yeah. um you know the the reason people are able to sell uh monochrome paintings for six to seven figures is because they control the context not because there's anything inherently interesting about a canvas that's painted only one color yeah totally. you know yeah so that's where that's that's where the art and magic is it's it's controlling the the context it's it's the the world building you know that's when you see when you look at like video game even like you'll see it in video games you know like nice mario is a plumber like that's not inherently interesting at all. <laughs> right. It's but it's this whole you when I say Mario, you thought of ten million things that have nothing to do with fucking plumbing. Right, right. So it's like that's being Mario is not being a plumber. Being right. Mario is all this other shit that like you kinda like you don't realize you have control over. And it is just as much fun as uh as making the 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 art itself because that's that's part of it, you know, like um a few paintings that i have here that i that i've bought that are original works you know the 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 frames themselves are were handmade works works of art you know the intention of how how that's put put together you know people judge books by their covers because like yeah you know what it's like the the there's there's a meme out there that is that's like it's just like all teachers saying don't judge a book by their cover and then underneath this like all the graphic designers who designed the book covers just like what the fuck yeah yeah you know it's like someone spent like you should judge a book by their by their cover because it's a reflection of how much effort someone is willing to put in presenting their shit yeah you know that that that's that's a personal value of mine and that like any if you if you're if you've been to you know, in college, you could figure out pretty quickly that you could take a shitty essay, and if you put a fancy enough cover on it, you can, you're, you can that that C minus that C plus becomes a B minus. Mm-hmm. You know, like little little shit like that. Even if you're not smart, people 
can see that you're tr- that like that you're you're, like effort, yeah. effort is is the only thing that turns shit into gold. Like being like being smart and being good at stuff doesn't mean like <clears throat> doesn't mean anything. You know, totally. The fanciest hammer does nothing on the shelf. Right. Yeah. You know. Definitely. So you gotta you gotta take it out. Whack. Hell yeah. Yeah, you've really um something I really admire you for too is like this kind of goes hand in hand with like the meme shirts and what we were just talking about. You have really created and I know a lot of artists don't like this word. I, I used to kind of have a phobia about um brand or branding. Like you've created this kind of like silly community uh where people expect this kind of these kind of things from you, like the pivot to, to making meme t-shirts, it wasn't that surprising, but like, I think you no, had, think... you had a big community, like cheering you on also. You know? Yeah. It kind of felt like, it felt like a natural, it, it, you know, it felt like th- like things kind of just like rapidly falling into place in terms of it yeah. um, working. It's, you know, it's one of those things where like, you do, you do it once and then you do it the second day in a, second day in a row and then all of a sudden by like day five I'm like ideas are just like impulsively coming into my head where I have to run to you know it start started off where I was like all right if I can like uh, what ha- what happened was really is it we were in the I want to say it was the last week of March mm-hmm. when I put out my first shirt we were in quarantine and I lo- I like. I lost my job. Like there was no unemployment yet. So we didn't know shit. Like right. I was just like, all right, like, uh, let's see what, you know, let's, ha- let's have some fun. I really didn't expect anything of it, but like I put one shirt out there and like I sold a bunch of them and I was like, huh, if I could do this, like, you know, if I could, if I could repeat, let's see if I can repeat this, you know, like say, all right, let's try and put out, you know, one shirt a week, you know, let's see if I could do, let's see if I could do that. So I, a week later I had came out with another one and then a week later, another one. Then I was like, Oh, I have like, I could, the more that I did it, the more ideas like would quickly come into my head. And I quickly figured out that like, we all kind of have these dumb ideas all the time. All but, the like, time. Yeah. The, uh- the main difference between what, makes a dumb this what separates a dumb idea and a piece of art is like the 10 seconds it takes to either write down that idea or to forget that idea yeah. and that happens to everybody a million times a day I know, you have yeah. a million great ideas and you forget almost all of them so like the part of the thing that i've benefited from the pandemic is that i'm home all the time so i, I am always within 20 feet of photoshop right and if right. i have some dumb idea it's now just like how quickly can I get this out of my head and onto the internet before it becomes like, there's like an imaginary buzzer where like, if I spend, you know, if I spend two hours on some of these memes, it's too long. Right. It's like, then it becomes like, all right, that was kind it's, of a weird way. It's too time. contrived or something. Yeah. At that but point. like, what if I put something out that's incredibly stupid and people <laughs> think it's incredibly stupid? I don't care. Cause it took me five minutes or it took me 25 minutes and I put out, you know, like now I put out one a day at least. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, so, I feel like that's part of the appeal too, is that like, it's just, 
it's just goofball shit. You know what I mean? It's not, you're not like, they don't have to be a hundred percent. They don't have to be bangers. Every single one. You sure. Know? Yeah. 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 But like people, what's what I like about it is like the shirts are made to order. So there's lots of people out there that have shirts of mine that are one of a kind. Cause they're the only one that thought that joke was funny. Today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Nice. So, so it creates this interesting paradigm where it's like there's these rare Super S shirts out there, but they're only rare because most people didn't think it was funny. Right. But, but, but a lot of the stuff that I do, you know, um, uh, Yeti, the producer, said to me a long time ago. He said, uh, he said, niches is riches, mm-hmm. and I kind, I've always kind of taken that to heart, where it's like, you know. I don't need, uh, I don't need to, I don't need an idea that 10,000 people are going to buy if I can come up with, you know, a hundred ideas that a hundred people are going to buy 10 times, you know, like, right, right. I don't, if I, if I can, um, like my idea, like some of those, some of the shirts like will, will only hit, you know, four or five people, but those four or five people will buy the shirt immediately. Right. You know. I, that tool Grateful Dead one that I have. I'm actually we- I'm actually wearing it under my sweater. Um I would I would show it off. But like oh man, I fucking love it. I I I do at least for a while like loved both those bands so so much that it it just it was it it's brilliant, man. Like uh the little tattoo on Bob Weir's arm. But it's fun. It, you know what it, I mean? Like I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm gushing at you, but, uh, no, it's, it's it, what I like about part of what's funny or interesting about it. in like, is that it only exists because they're not allowed to do it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair. Like, That's a good like, point. You can be, you can be as famous, like you can be as famous as Maynard or as famous as Bob Weir and you're not allowed, like they're not allowed to put out a shirt like that. Yeah, they, they get they in can't. very big trouble. They're yeah. not allowed to do it. They can't. Um, they can't fuck with each other's brands, but you're kind of like, just be, yeah. Ahead. Well, they. It, it, it's just like they can't. You know, um, like all like there's so there's this like weird like brand sovereignty thing that I feel like I'm kind of fucking with a bit. Um, I think uh, electronic music also has like a bit of a problem with this with forced reverence in terms of uh brand branding um the visionary art world kind of ha- has like lots of problems with that but it's well, uh, huge electronic let, music let's talk about that for a second um what do you mean by brand sovereignty can we dig down into that a little bit like yeah because one, one of the things that i've noticed when i or just like a, in a, like as a personal exploration with making these these joke shirts is that figuring out who I'm allowed to make fun of and why I'm not allowed to make fun of certain people. Yeah. And like that it's really weird to analyze like how like certain certain things you just like it's just like not cool to it's either not cool to make fun of or it's not cool to make money off of making fun of, mm-hmm. you know, which in a weird, I have to respect in a, in, I guess a weird way. Cause it's like all of my art is derivative. So 
it wouldn't exist without the source material. Sure, sure. But everything, all art is derivative. So like, right. you know, it's a, that's a, that's a never ending chain that is, that is very real. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think it's what? Oh, do you, do you think about like, sorry, this is going to be a bit of a tangent, but like, when thinking about derivative stuff, like, and, and all, all things being sort of causal and you can take it back, like as far as you want to the beginning of like human consciousness, like, right. I mean, do you think about that in terms of like, I don't know. I just had this kind of thought about like free will and, and how it's kind of, to me, it's kind of like an illusion like all the thoughts that you think are you can trace them back well, deter- to to uh, like something else you know what i mean yeah well it's called the determinism yes. that's like a whole that is a, that's a whole thing totally and totally. like that's it's it's one way of kind of looking at how how things work um but also at the same I time love, sorry sorry i was just gonna say the thing that i love about philosophy like that is that they're all right as long as you look at them independently, you know, like (laughs) that's not like determinism isn't wrong. It's just not necessarily practical. It's not necessarily practical all the time. It's, it's, it's a tool. It's, it's a tool in your, in your toolbox. Right. 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 Um, shit. Sorry. I got us off track there, but, um, that's okay. Yeah. I, I, we were talking about brand, yeah or yeah brand sovereignty and and like uh and in particular with the the visionary art scene and the edm scene like what are what are some sacred cows that that you've found or maybe you don't have to name them since that would kind of um yeah yeah. i don't i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna name drop good or bad but um i've had uh, way more good experiences than bad. I'll say that, but sure. I've had way more problematic analysis than, mm. than I think is, uh, uh, okay for nobody to be talking about. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, I, I think just in general, like artists tend to be pretty territorial when it comes to their shit and very like, I just don't, I just don't like that. It's all kind of religious and, with the, it comes with all of the same problems that religious art does. And so it's like, it kind of defeats the purpose. Like if I'm not a lot, like if I'm not allowed to criticize your work, like that's, that's bullshit. No you know, like, kidding. I, yeah. Like, I, I think that that's, that's one of the weird products of a scene that is born out of not uh, necessarily like formal, education that is like kind of exploited and that like people like the whole like like i'm not saying people should be like mean to people's art like that's that's terrible but like um (laughs) but if you say like hey this reminds me of this and someone's gets all like their hackles up you know i don't know i think that's kind of silly no but if you're like why do you only paint like naked white women meditating like <laughs> that's a valid critique but like i'm not allowed i'm not allowed to ask questions like that or like why like 
what like why do you like why do you only paint shapes you know like yeah yeah like if you look if you look at the masters of visionary art they don't really paint shapes they paint like things that incorporate the rules of geometry right right but they're not like they're not you know yeah i i just like there's it's the it's the religious and the deist aspect of of psychedelic culture that kind of like has always rubbed me the wrong way and is really prevalent in the art the like uh this the spiritual like it's a very rigid aesthetic that mm-hmm. like which is why i don't buy it because yeah. like spirituality and like psychedelic like mind manifesting all that shit should mean should be way more varied than the culture presents and i I think that the art that we're seeing is more of a reflection of the people who are taking the psychedelics and not the psychedelics themselves and that's like which to me i was raised pretty atheist so like no matter how much dmt i smoke I don't see any fucking fairies or yeah. elves or angels. I have literally fl- flown to the farthest end of the universe, like mm-hmm. out of my body and seen shit that I can't even possibly begin to describe. But like people, entities behind the curtain, I I wasn't I wasn't taught as a child to believe in that kind of stuff. So I don't see it mm-hmm. as an adult, but I do see the parallels in uh, um, monotheistic Abrahamic religions and modern psychedelic culture, and I don't really, li- I don't really like it. To be honest, I feel like it's, uh, um, it's like a, uh, it, it's, it's like an awakening that's still very much in the adolescent phase. So it's, it's there's a lot of like attitude and like. There's a lot of attitude and shame and like mm-hmm. developing going on. It's like yeah, a yeah. new, it's like everyone's uh, in like an artistic puberty in a, in a weird way. And we're like, yeah. not sure how to like <laughs> properly like interact, sure. interact about it. You know, I feel, yeah, I feel like that's a pretty accurate take. Um, also, I think, you know, you could call this a subculture, this sort of like psychedelic visionary electronic base thing where we're like, since we're a subculture, it's hard to kind of divorce yourself from the culture at large. So like you're going to, the people who are a part of that subculture are going, going to take the unprocessed baggage they might have from the culture at large into the subculture yeah. with them. And I think the same is is true of any psychedelic experience, you know? Like it's, you know, this is a cliche at this point, but it's it's not just the drug, it's the person, it's more about the person taking it, you know, and the experiences yeah, like, that, like, that they've had and like I remember, you know, the fr- the first time the first time I tripped, the first time most people tripped, like the first thing you do the next day is you you want to fucking tell everybody about oh, it. Oh, dude, yes. What, what yeah. you need to, you need <laughs> to share, you need somebody else to get up onto this level with you because it was that, it was that good. The spiritual you know? materialism um, at its finest. But, 
I I definitely I mean like and and that's why when I see people kind of um and this is a common thing like you were saying at at festivals and psychedelic venues when I see people in that state just kind of just wide-eyed and wanting to rant at you about how the universe works I I'm I kind of like will smile and nod and just like be as well, some people empathic do that with as their I can. Art and they're really good at it. What do you what do you mean? Oh like like you need to get on this level kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and they're they're and and the art's really good. So yeah. like yeah. it's kind of like in a in a weird way it's almost like if if uh you know, psychedelic EDM culture was some sort of like uh, borderline like cult parasocial fucking if uh, situ- situation. If um, art is the charism- charismatic gentleman who lures, lures you, <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's like yeah, yeah. It's literally it's the it's the dangling the shiny keys into into disseminating um, exactly what we're kind of supposed to be shedding, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think um, we're. I think this is an unfortunate. I don't think this is anybody's fault though. Yeah, I, that's, yeah. I think that's. I, I think agree. that's important. Uh, that's kind of what I was getting that's at. That's important for me to say because I feel like I, I I talk a lot of shit and people feel like I'm blaming them for the situation that they're in. And um, no, I think people are are we're we're all unfortunately in a situation where we've been forced to commodify ourselves to survive. Right. Um. So like, there's a lot of like weird byproducts of that, but that's not um that's not art's fault and that's definitely not psychedelics fault but a lot of people uh psychedelics are kind of supposed to be the like way out of out, out of that sort of top down line of of thinking in terms of like your art as a sovereign sovereign brand <laughs> but once it starts to pay the bills and it becomes the only thing you know how to do, you kind of have to protect that, I guess. And it becomes a sort of survival. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I understand it. I just think it's, I just don't, I don't trust. I don't, I I don't trust. I don't trust it because there's, uh, because of the spirituality in front, in front of it, because the spirituality is in front. That's kind of, that's, that's where I can say that the, the issue lies because there's a lot of psychedelic art that is not, visionary art you know like there's like people have been tripping for a long like a long, long I mean, time you know there's, cave paintings are arguably the most psychedelic thing you could ever see you know i mean the the bible is a piece of is, yeah. is visionary is visionary art you know like they they literally you know they were either they were either wandering the desert or eating stuff that was definitely like past its due date and like either way like you do both of those things long enough you're gonna see some shit then that like makes you want to tell but like the problem was not the shit that they saw the problem was that the need to tell the world about it became more important than what the message was in the first place that's where ego kind of comes uh 
comes back around into it, you know, and it's like it becomes the 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 spiritual bypassing just like it's a problem. I th- I think like and it's it's gotten it's gotten worse. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not it's not like a, a it's not a new thing. It's been around for a while and it's gotten like it's got it's been around long enough that parents who do it are raising kids to do it and like they now go to go to our shows <laughs> and they now paint and try and sell paintings to people and uh, you know like yeah i mean i i think that like like having a spiritual experience or having what people would call a spiritual lifestyle is is all good and fine until you start sort of demanding that that's the way it is and that's and that everybody else needs to to kind of act or or mouth the same sort of platitudes that that go along with your you know personal brand of of spirituality and to that point i think like everybody sort of has their own personal brand of integrating with reality whether that it, whether you want to call it explicitly spiritual or philosophical or whatever you still I, I don't know how to say it but you still sort of have tools to help you like try and make sense of all this crazy shit that's going on yeah and but but it, the problem is where the line between expressive and exploitative is intentionally blurry yeah. And that's, that's what, that's what I don't like. I don't, I don't mind that the line is there because it's not, it's not our job to make things perfect. It's our job to navigate around, na- navigate the way shit is. So right. it's not, it's, the. I don't want, I'm not, I'm not trying to like shit, shit on, on, uh, visionary art. Um, I just, uh, I just feel I just feel like um, if spirit it, like if everything they're saying is real, then they're definitely exploiting it, you know. So it's like either, either, like that's that's kind of how I feel. Is it's like I I like I'm not a completely um, like I'm not a spiritual, you know, but mm-hmm. like. I, you know, so I'll send it back to when I, when I was a kid, you know, I sp- I've spent my whole life performing for people and like, I was a magician. Uh, I, I, I spent, um, I, I know, I know how to, uh, fool adults, you know, <laughs> it's right. like, it's, it's, I know, I know what it's like to bullshit people. Um, so I know, I know the lengths, I know, I know what it means to, to, to do that you know, as, as, as an art, as an art form, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I just feel like the, the, the spirituality aspect of it creates that sort of like forced reverence that I don't like, you know, yeah, that I, um, where like, you can't, like, you can't, um, I don't know. It's, it maybe it's not, it's not so much, um, it's not so much with the work so much as with the uh the artists themselves but that's more of a personal personal problem but i guess <laughs> in um i don't know it's i i i yeah the 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 
it's hard it's hard for me to to articulate this without calling people out i don't want to do that <laughs> yeah yeah no worries so, <laughs> we don't have to go there at all i was yeah. I, I was just kind of uh just curious to to dig down into like brand reverence and and that whole oh, thing yeah so like we're we're in it especially with music we're in this situation where anybody can make it and it's free and it's digital so it doesn't like doesn't exist physically so it can rapidly it can be shared just distributed you know this was the problem since since napster um but so something i noticed that our scene figured out is this concept of false scarcity where even though something is actually like ever present and abundant if you create a situation where if you like block access or like create like a scarcity the thing then it, it's it's a way to increase uh increase the value the perceived or the perceived value of of a project you know um yeah isn't that, our, isn't that like a classic uh sort of rent seeking tactic uh, you know, like, like with, I don't know, I, I don't have a good clear analogy, but like I mean, a good, like a good, a good way to do it, you know, like the way I, a way I like to see it is like, uh, um, like artists who, you know, some artists don't, don't want to play, you know, 40 shows a year. They want to play right. 10 shows a year. And like, because they're only playing 10 shows a year the demand the the hype to go see them in increases but that's it's manufactured that, that so that's a scarcity that's manufactured it's um especially with uh the the that became a bigger issue with live streams when that it when the live when the live concert then became self-replicating and could be distributed to people at home where like you started to see people suddenly take their their themselves or their project or their brand like a little too seriously mm -hmm. um did you see what this is a side note but did you see what garth brooks did with the drive-in thing um the only reason i, I, I know why is because some comedians i follow like to roast him really hard but uh he he basically played a concert and he's like, yeah, I'm doing a drive-in tour. And all these people went to the drive-in to see him, paid like a hundred bucks a pop. And it's just him performing in one place, but like live streaming it to all these drive-ins. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, I think I think people knew beforehand, but it's still like the way he called it a, a, a drive-in tour. It's like, it could have been pre-recorded, totally pre-recorded. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. No one would be the wiser. But anyway, I digress. That that seemed to be like a relevant example. But yeah, of what most we were mostly about. noticing the uh, the attitude that Pat and I got from uh, artists and mostly from uh, managers and agents about doing live streams before the pandemic versus their attitude about live streams during the pandemic ah, told me everything that I need to know about uh, how much of uh, what their real issues were was mostly just a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. And um, 
that the 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 false scarcity thing like when i see like i don't know maybe that's not as big of a problem as uh as as other things it's just like weird ways that like people are just like the weird ways that people are exploiting themselves for for money in this business is sure. is is goofy um and yeah the for the the forced reverence thing is like it's like uh weird you see it a lot with um uh production companies you mm-hmm. know they're like oh like you know you, you see it a lot with speaker companies mm-hmm. um but i've definitely like noticed um which uh I've definitely noticed that there's like, there's some, I, it's like, it's, it's, it's definitely hard for me to put my finger on, on entirely, but like, yeah. I get like, you know, I've made so many, so many memes that nobody <laughs> will ever see. Cause I'm just not sure if I'm even like, if this is like a make fun of a bull thing and not for any like, Sure. problematic yeah. reason not for anything like that just right. simply because like oh they're this kind of artist so they like you can't you can't approach them with anything but like sensitivity and grace and like i don't like that that's like that's like an aesthetic and a culture where like you have to like you know you know we're we're, <laughs> we're a culture we're, we're a culture where djs will get up on the main stage wearing you know ritual garb and crystals strapped to their head and like you know everyone's doing prayer hands and it's just like what like what's that mean what what, what, yeah this has to be this is serving another purpose and i don't i don't think it's a i don't think it's a purpose of light i think it's uh i think there's a few people making a lot of money off of it sure Sure. That's um, why they're going to happen. So since we're kind of dancing around this question, um, what are some brutal facts about the music industry that people who aren't involved might not know about? Brutal facts about the industry is um, you're either going to blow up overnight or it's going to take you 10 years longer than you think it is. Mm. Um, if you blow up overnight don't fucking drink and do drugs because <laughs> it never works out for anybody. Yeah. I yeah. can't, I'm actually telling people to not do drugs, but, um, <laughs> yeah, no, like honestly, like people don't realize that how physically intensive, uh, of a, of a process being a touring musician is, especially in the early stages, you know, like a lot of my, like a lot of your a lot of your successes will be due to things that you compromise on like for your physical or mental comfort and you know like i think in a weird way that almost like comes back to why people don't like the getting paid an exposure thing because it reminds them of the all of the things that they have to compromise on in order to mm. get any sort of advantage you know like for me it's like i spent you know, years touring by, you know, crashing on couches, you know, my, you know, being willing to have a shitty back at the, you know, 
at the age of 30 just so that I could, uh, so I wouldn't have been able to play all these gigs if I was trying to book myself hotels. Right, right. So you have to like, you know, uh, I never felt like I was like truly booking it. I think I, mm-hmm. uh, I never really stayed. I had too much gear to stay with like complete strangers. I was never, uh, right. never a fan of that. I also never drank that hard when I had that one. I was, I'm always paranoid about my, my gear. I've had my laptop stolen before. Ooh, um, yeah. Out of my own, out of my own house. Damn. So while I, while I was in the house, so Jeez. we had a fucking party and somebody replaced, it was in college and somebody swiped my laptop from my laptop bag and replaced it with a textbook. So I didn't even realize that the laptop was gone till I got to fucking class. Cause Ooh. I thought, cause, cause of the weight, I was like this fucking oceans 11 ass dude. Just straight up swapped <laughs> my laptop for an equally heavy flat thing. And got me. I was so I was so upset. I lost so much music, so much music that I was working on. Oh man. Uh, advice I would give to people to, to to people starting off: uh, lo- losing a hard drive with like a year's worth of songwriting on it is like as bad as losing a, a human in your life. Like you will cry for a long time. So. <laughs> Back up your hard drives. Back up those hard drives. Um, <laughs> crazy. I have uh, I have hard drives stored on the cloud storage. I also like once a year send a hard drive to my parents' house in case whatever house I'm in burns down. Yeah. I've just I've, I after after it's happened to me twice where I've lost like six months to a year's worth of shit, and I've just like. It's, it's all my fault for not backing it up. So I'm super anal about that. Um, it's a really devastating experience that I wish on absolutely nobody. But um, it will happen if you don't back your shit up because computers just do it. Computers just do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, something people don't necessarily know about the music industry is that you can become very successful without ever touring. Touring isn't actually the option, which seems counterintuitive to uh, me also crapping on streaming services. Um, Because while they do, on face value, they pay X amount per stream, if you're good, you can, if you're good at that game, and like working that that system, like not in a malicious or like tricky way, but in a like, you know, like if the if, like when I think of the amount of times like uh, that I that I spent without a manager or an agent, where I was sitting in a coffee shop writing a hundred emails a day, trying to book myself a tour when nobody knew who I was. Um, if I put the same amount of effort into getting my tracks um, played on stations that um, had made deals with retail stores to only play their station in the stores. You know, like I could be shit. Like I, I, I I have friends that you've never heard of that are making six figures off of Spotify streams and they'll never tour again because they're chilling, but they, you know, they're not, um, you know, they're not putting out festival traps. So it's like that, you know, if you want to be a musician, you have to you have to put in the work somewhere. 
Mm-hmm. You're either going to spend time touring and like making physical sacrifices, or you're going to, you know, produce tracks for other people to buy. You know, like I've made uh, I made a decent amount of money selling beats to uh, companies that make instructional DVDs. Um, for yes. a whole year, I supported myself that they would buy 15 second hip hop beats at 500 bucks a pop. Wow. For, uh, <clears throat> for track uh, instructional tractor uh videos like that was my that was my whole like i did that to for like a whole year of college um like there's so many other ways besides just being the uh the guy on the stage yeah so i i often recommend people asking themselves if like being the guy on the stage is the goal um right right that's something that is really easy for people to ask themselves this year when that's not an option yeah, yeah. You know, one of the ways in which like I earned my, you know, catharsis and freedom was I had to be like, all right, like, what is it about music that I actually love that I can still do that doesn't involve me? Like, like I, I asked myself, like, what if you know, like, what if this pandemic was a five-year thing? Like, what would I like? What what can I still get out of this art like art form that doesn't require me? to be on stage and like was the stage um the the priority and um in a lot of ways it sometimes became that um a lot of the music that i was working on pre-pandemic was definitely being written with like big outside outdoor systems in mind and like the music right now is definitely like not that um but um yeah i I would say that um that there's like especially right now like gotta figure out how to if you're trying if you're trying to make money making music and it's not going to be from live shows right it's not going to be from live shows for a while you know like Probably at the least whole, like a year and a half before things get at least, you know? Yeah. I mean, I could, you know, anything I say, anything I say about the pandemic, what I think about the <laughs> pandemic is going to piss somebody off. So, <laughs> um, but I, I wouldn't expect, I wouldn't expect to see my touring schedule look like it did in 2019 for a few years. I really don't see, uh, that's like you know if that's if they get enough vaccine for everybody to take it and if enough people take it and if it actually works and if it's not seasonal and if reinfections aren't a thing like there's too many ifs that come with even if the vaccine totally works Mm -hmm. that like um i'm I'm not i'm not booking summer 2021 right shows right right I think people are are hopeful, and I think that that's uh, admirable. But I'm I'm practical, and I know uh, how people how people are. You know, do you, you think- know as soon as as soon as I saw as soon as I saw this fucking pandemic start, like back back in February, I was talking to some people. I'm like. This is just gonna, like there's no way that there's no way that everybody is going to get their shit together right. and work on like 
No. Oh, this is a pandemic that is beaten with personal responsibility. <laughs> no way. Uh, yeah. We, we yeah we the vaccine all along was personal responsibility, and nobody yeah. wanted to take that. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. begin. So, um, I I got very comfortable in March with the idea of uh, um, being a musician forever, but not depending on live shows to pay my bills. Do you, like, do you think um, after all the dust settles uh, in terms of the pandemic that the the music industry will have more people looking to make money off stage? And what do you think? What do you think about like venues? And just basically, what what do you think the industry will look like after all this? I mean, anything that they can make money off of, they will. Mm-hmm. Um, if shows are if shows are popping full swing and it's safe, like I'll be I'll be fucking there. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah be, totally. I'll be buying tickets. I'll be playing shows. Um, I'm I'm sure it it'll get it'll get back to normal, but we're gonna come up like we're gonna come up with other things to do in the meantime. You know, right. two year, two years ago the music industry industry was different. You know. Like point. two years from now, the music industry will be different. Like, yeah, there's going to be all sorts of new. There's going to be new ways for um, the underground to get the the exposure it needs to get itself out of out of being the underground and being become or or the underground will become more sustainable. I mm-hmm. guess it's a way of looking at it because they'll have to, um, like adapt yeah you have you have to adapt you know the lot like the live stream pay-per-views are working like people are buying people are buying tickets people stop streaming for free so right like eventually that will 100 that'll 100 come back um live live streams are gonna keep us going you know i've seen there's already like fancy studios doing like proper real proper like hollywood level like green screen studio production for you know like the insomniac level uh concerts doing live streams and they'll probably you know as long as they're not making you know if 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 they're making all, all that money and not having to you know pay for all these like costs of porter potties yeah you know shit like security and shit like that you don't have to pay for any of that like you'll you'll see you'll definitely see some people get real comfortable with with the live streams and that's Mm -hmm. i think a good thing like when like like i was saying like i think people a lot of people are going to figure out they didn't like touring yeah yeah Um, i think this breather was um, so important i fucking love it i love traveling i can't wait I can't wait to do it. Um, I am stoked that I don't have to do it. Right. You know, right. like that's when it becomes, that's when it becomes, you know, then you're a traveling salesman, but you're selling your, your art, you know? Yeah. 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 And I've seen, you know, and you either have to do it, you know, you either have, if you, when you're doing tours, like you either have to do them sober or you become a fucking mess. Like those are your only, op- like those are like, your only options you know i've got friends that they'll when they do the like 
40 dates in in six weeks and it's like when you're partying every night it's like your body's gonna fucking hate you yeah just no, they're like that's not like that's not even a judgment call that's just mechanic like yeah. mechanics you're gonna Pure feel physics like, <laughs> feel like shit. yeah yeah so do you do you have any practices that i mean bes- besides kind of like abstaining from so much partying while you're on the road do, do you like i don't know do you exercise or anything or not as much as I should. I got a, we got a, uh, I got an indoor bike that I got during the pandemic that nice. is, um, I use a couple, <clears throat> a couple times a week. Um, but I've been doing a lot of, uh, hiking around here just cause, um, we can, there's just like lots of it, mountains and awesome. like, and, like lots of trails and there's just like nobody, nobody out on them. Nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I get a lot of outdoor time with no people around. It's nice. Um, but yeah, be, uh, being in nature is super important. One thing that, that the pandemic has definitely helped me do is I, I cook 21 meals a week, you oh, know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so because of that, I've gotten real good at cook, you know, gotten <laughs> yeah. good, I've gotten good at cooking, you know, I literally am cooking, tw- you know, 21 meals a week. So because of that, I've learned, just like gotten, you know, cooking good, good shit. And, uh, it's actually, you know, really easy to, to, uh, stretch your money and eat, uh, eat well. Yeah. The myth that the myth that eating healthy is expensive is, only true if you eat out right like or or if you only shop at whole foods right but like then my nearest whole foods is two hours away so see see i'm in the i'm in the uh, gravitational pull of the whole foods i'm like two minutes away from one but there's also a costco right there so kind of balances it out oh man when i lived in denver we would go to kate we would go to Whole Foods for breakfast, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right there, it's right there, and they have everything. Yeah, but like, yeah, definitely cooking right, cooking and eating right is like the biggest health change that um that I do for myself, and that's something that is kind of just like really fucking difficult to do when you're on tour. Yeah. Oh yeah. If, if not, like, you know, there's there's hacks and tricks around it. Um, uh, a friend of mine, Zevler, mm-hmm. uh, the last one time when he was on, uh, he was doing visuals for Spangle tour and I was opening for them and he put on their rider instead of alcohol, just all of these raw ingredients so that every time that they showed up to the venue, like, raw peppers raw onions raw avocados and we were making fresh guacamole oh, that's like, awesome every, every gig so there's like you take you, like taking a lot of the creative adaptation stuff from the like from the from the road and from the field and bringing it indoors like is 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 useful you know the um i like thinking of uh all the touring and like festival plays that i've done as the like you know, Boy Scout training for, for so much stuff. I feel like I've been wearing a, 
a weighted vest that I don't that like now that I've taken it off and it's like, oh, I have to cook for myself, but I have to I get to do it like indoors and not in like yeah, yeah. cold wet cold wet field. <laughs> right, right. Um. Well, yeah, man. You'll have to you'll have to post some of those uh, food pics for us, bro. <laughs> I will. I'm about to make a pretty pretty serious uh, butternut and delicata squash soup. Ooh, nice. That's awesome. Well, yeah. so I think this is a good place to wrap up. I'll ask okay. one last question. Um, you've you've dropped a lot of gems along the way here, but is there? To yeah, make, I mean, I'm always to make, to do this again if you want more more content. Like, dude, I mean, you're I, you're I, great. I ramble, I ramble a lot, and I could talk about you. I could honestly. Talk you're a great about guest, dude. Like, yeah, I'd I'd love to have you back on for sure. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I like I feel like we definitely even scratched like barely scratched the surface on some of the like like the uh, I've spent I've spent too much time alone with uh <laughs> with just my art and 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 my memes and like I really put a lot of effort and thought into like justifying their existence to myself. <laughs> like I I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. Um Okay, so just one last question. What, yeah, sure. uh, if you could sum it all up, what advice would you give to young producers? I know, I know, you said a lot this this podcast, but um, young producers, or even like a younger version of yourself. Advice to a younger version of myself would be much. I could give much better advice than to cool. a, another producer. Yeah, yeah. But let me stay, yeah. let me think for. One second, because that's a really dope question. One piece of advice that I would give to myself. I don't know. Kind of, I've, I've, I've dug the whole journey. It hasn't been uh, all all that great, or hasn't been all great. It's definitely been mostly great. But um, advice that I would give myself would be to spend. Actually, I would the advice I would give myself to spend even less time around people. <laughs> <laughs> I would tell myself to give way even less of a shit that than I did about the social aspect of it. You know, like I always kind of, well, I've always kind of been a little bit removed. You know, like when I'm the, you know, when I'm the when I'm the only dude in the green room at. 3 a.m. in Brooklyn who's not doing blow like you start to pick up that like all right this is not I don't need to I didn't need to be here hanging out all night all night you know like there's other there's always other things to do than just hang out and 99.9 percent of networking is bullshit it's gonna be it's gonna be bullshit yeah yeah especially if you're fucked up yeah yeah, especially too. Like, I've noticed something that happens at shows is is like, yeah, people will be like, either a little fucked up or like way too fucked up, and then they're trying to kind of like, sort of like pitch you their brand or their whatever over this like loud music. Yeah, and, and it's just like, 
I, I know this is a social thing too, as well as like enjoying the music. Well, but... it's worse because it's, it's not even an amateur move. That's a pro, like pros do dumb like do it too, and it just it looks goofy when you're when you're not in it. Right, it's hard to like feel like you're a part of it, you know. And I've always felt like a little bit of a an outsider on that. And I would say that like like with this pandemic, most people realize that like 99% of the people that they thought were their friends were just randos that they consistently saw at the same shows. And like, most of those people suck. And like, a lot of them (laughs) are like, you know, they're all like, you know, there's way too many people in the scene that are like conspiracy theorists and Q people and yeah, yeah. Or they're or they're fucking abusers, or like it's just there's way too much of all that shit for it to not be like. I don't know. We can save all those topics for next time. You know. Yeah. Yeah. There's just it's just it's just like you're gonna meet way too many. I would say you're gonna meet way too many people who suck, and a lot of them you're gonna think they're your friends until shows don't exist anymore. <laughs> and then you realize they were just your show buddies and then yeah, that yeah. they were actually shitty people and that like it's not a regret it's just that like most of the people that you meet aren't actually worth your time and that's not like a a, a stuck up thing it's literally just like a self-worth like like you got like there's other shit to do you yeah, know yeah you don't have to pro- need, you don't always need to hang out yeah you have to protect work your on, time work on your art. yeah beautiful advice beautiful. man yeah well, okay, that's I think that's a great place to stop recording. Appreciate you, oh. dude. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks,